what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of the rewired soul podcast it is your host chris boutte and today my guest is the author pete davis who recently came out with a book called dedicated and pete's written a few books this was the first one my introduction to him and i fell in love with it and i'm working on reading his other books but anyways i wanted to pick up this book called dedicated because i am one of those jack of all trades master of none as you could probably tell with the wide range of books that i read and i love to learn like this is just how i am i go from here to there and all over the place so i saw this book from pete and i'm like okay okay explain to me you know the benefits of being dedicated just dedicated to something all right and yeah i was pleasantly surprised uh pete does a great great job with this book kind of discussing all the angles and and it's not just like hey find something and be 100 percent dedicated to this and never think about anything else it's a lot more nuanced than that and yeah like i said i fell in love with his writing and i'm looking forward to reading his other books so i'm i'm super super glad he was able to come on and discuss some of the topics from his book so make sure you check down in the description below make sure you're following pete and i will link his book dedicated down there as well it's getting a lot of great reviews it's a it's an awesome book all right but yeah while you're in the description uh make sure that you're following me over on twitter and instagram as well um you could stay up to date with upcoming episodes the books i'm reading and i love chatting with all of you lovely listeners so so yeah make sure you're following me on instagram and twitter at the rewired soul but anyways without further ado here is my conversation with Pete Davis about his new book, Dedicated. Hey, Pete. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast to discuss your book, Dedicated. So the first question that I always ask, because I'm always curious, is what inspired you to write this book? And who are you kind of hoping to reach with the book? Well, you know, I wrote this book because we're living in dark times, you know, and many people my age feel this way. I sure feel this way. Community is in decline. Major political problems are all around us. There's a feeling that our institutions have been corrupted and we're all losing faith in them. Some things that have arisen to give us hope have been dashed and we are really in need of guidance. We feel like we're in the desert looking for something to grab onto. Everyone's asking, and I've been asking this, what should we do? And the message that we usually get from uh, folks about what we should do, you know, especially from the education system, is that we should achieve, you know, we should climb the ladder of success, we should try to raise our status. And the form that that usually takes is a message to keep your options open. You know, the person that we value is the person who has the most available options. You're supposed to take care of your future self by not tying that future self down 
um, with a particular place or a person or a cause or don't share your opinions now because you never know uh, how that'll hurt you or don't get tied down to something now because you never know what's around the corner and the people you know we raise up in these education systems are the ones that have the most options um, and meanwhile kind of in the culture the message that we're getting is you know it's usually about kind of personal wellness in this dark times there's nothing we can do about it, but we can take care of ourselves um, and kind of turn inward and make sure that at least we are doing fine. And both of these in in some ways are okay. You know, it's okay to create options for yourself. It's okay to have personal wellness. But the reason I wrote this book is that this is not enough. It doesn't help address the problems in the world. It doesn't build community. It doesn't solve the political problems. It doesn't revive the institutions. It doesn't give us hope. And that's the world outside. The world inside, it doesn't give us kind of the peace and joy uh, that we're looking for. What does? What is the alternative that does struggle with the world and does give ourselves, you know, peace and joy? Well, when we look around and we think about the people that have had an impact and the people that are kind of at peace with their life, it's the people who totally ignored the advice to keep their options open. It's the people who made a commitment to a particular thing, to a particular cause or community or place or person or craft or idea or institution. Um, People who were willing to close doors and forego options for something bigger than themselves. People who engage in a part of the world over the long haul. So uh, that's why I wrote this book. So it's targeted specifically in the voice of fellow young people. But, you know, one of the joys of giving the speech that inspired the book and releasing the book into the world is that a lot of other people who aren't fellow young people like it too. So um, it's a message that resonates with them. Yeah, you you discuss that uh, and you put it, you know, like that, but you dive into it a, deep, a little bit more in the intro of the book. I'm like, okay, all right, I get what you're saying, Pete. I'll keep reading this book because it hooked me in. Um, but but yeah, like uh, I I I was really interested in this and picked it up because I know I got an issue, right? I don't like to admit it. I don't think a lot of us do, but I I got into the book because I am personally all over the place. I'm doing a bunch of different projects and I have a hard time finishing one project before moving on to the next thing. But yeah, aside from that, like, you know, I work full time and now, you know, I'm doing the podcast because I love to read and, you know, I I wanted to have conversations with authors like yourself about the topics from the book and hopefully get more people to read, but I love making content and all this. But yeah, sometimes I'm like, okay, it's cool that I'm motivated and creative and like to do stuff, but I'm all over the place. So like in chapter one, I could relate to it a lot when you were talking about how we have this kind of fear of commitment that you just mentioned. So uh, although you aren't, you know, uh, my personal therapist or any of ours but, or a psychologist, like, like, let me know, like through your research and, and from what you've seen, like, why do you think we're so afraid in these recent times to commit to just one thing. You know, as I talk to long haul heroes um, and long haul heroes, I define as people who are committed to something over the long haul over many years. And I, you know, ask them about how they overcame the fear of committing. And as I talk to, you know, fellow young people like me who are not long haul heroes and are struggling with commitment, what I found out is that there are usually three fears that stand in the way of commitment. 
two are ones you've probably heard of before and one's an interesting one that I kind of discovered in my talking with folks. Uh, first is the fear of regret. It's the fear that if I commit to something, I'm going to wake up 20 years later and wish I had committed to something else. So that's normal. You get that fear of regret. Then there's the fear of missing out, which we hear about all the time. FOMO, you know, it's been talked about in the culture for the last five years, which is the fear that if I commit to something, it'll prevent me from, you know, chasing the hot new thing. It'll prevent me from being everywhere with everyone doing everything. And then there's a third fear that uh, I think is a big part of this, which we don't talk about as much, which is the fear of association. It's the fear that if I associate with something outside myself, it will threaten my identity, my reputation, and my sense of control. You know, it will, I will tell myself, oh, I am not the type of person who, you know, follows this religion or becomes this, uh, or, you know, does this political cause or is with this type of person. Or I wonder what my friends will think of me if I'm committed to this thing and I have to take a, you know, take take it as a whole or, you know, most normally, you know, uh, it's this commitment comes with a lot of people I'm going to have to deal with (laughs) and um, that, you know, people can be hard to deal with. And so I'm worried about associating with this commitment. So I think those are the three fears that are standing in our way. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that you bring bring that up too because you know I've I've had a lot of uh, guests and authors on the podcast and we talk about like tribalism and our identity and how it gets wrapped up in these groups. So I that definitely makes sense because you know that commitment. It's like not only am I committing to this thing, this activity or project or job or whatever. We're we're thinking about all the other things associated with it, and then you know I could see us kind of. Being like, okay, do I want to be associated with that group? Do I want to be put in that box? When people think of me, do they want to see me as this type of person? You know, and it's really interesting because we we do that so often, and we want everything in a category or in a group, and and all that. And another thing that uh, is interesting that you bring up in the book is is that we we live in this time where options are just endless, right? Like, for example, not only can you go the traditional route of college or or working your way up in a company, climbing that corporate ladder, but there's also this entire gig economy. So do you think that technology and the so-called uh, paradox of choice has made it more difficult for us to be dedicated to just one career path? Yeah, so I, you know, I get this question a lot about is this struggle with infinite browsing versus commitment a now thing or is it all of humanity thing? And I do think there's some that's like all of human history, there's been a struggle. You know, you find letters from the 1700s about young people wanting to free themselves from you know, their inherited commitments and then grappling with what trade they should join or which person they should be with or what cause to fight with, um, you know, to fight for. So I I don't think this is a totally now thing, but I think there are some things now that have committed to our infinite browsing and the number one being technology. And I think there's two big technologies that uh, led to this. One is transportation technology. So it used to be the fastest 
you know, mode of travel you could imagine was a galloping horse. And now, you know, we have supersonic jets. And so, you know, that's the difference between living in a village and like a big annual tradition would be riding a few towns down to I could live anywhere. I could fly anywhere. I've see I can see all these different ways people can live. Um, and then the other is information technology, which is kind of the inverse of transportation, where the things travel to you, which is I'm staying in my place, but you know I'm hearing on the radio or the television or now the internet or the movies or now the internet. All the thousands of different ways people can live, all the subcultures you can join, all the careers you can take on the dating apps, all the people you can swipe through. And with kind of the move to mobile phones, it's every minute of every day. It's not just there's a box on a desk somewhere where you can look this up. It's every time you're scrolling through these feeds, you are seeing an example of another option you could have. And um, that is a big part of it. But I don't think it's only technology. I think there's also a cultural aspect of this too, which is, you know, the idea that there, the the loosening of the grip of what could be called attachment entities. So it used to be there was a lot more in the culture that would guide you towards what you what you would commit to. Like it would give you a sense of meaning. Um, so if you like came up in a very strong faith, that would be a constellation of meaning that would orient you to what you should commit to. If you came up in a you know trade and your parents were like, this is the trade that's very important, um, that would give you a constellation of meaning that would attach to you. Even just hunky-dory stuff like civic groups with elders in them would talk to you about, you know, what is it, you know, here's here's a path for you. They would lay out paths for you and they would strongly encourage you to take them. And this, I'm not saying this is good or bad. In many ways, it's very good. In other ways, it causes struggles. Um, Those attachment entities, those aspects of our culture that have constellations of meaning outside of you have been in decline and they've loosened their grip. And that places on us the need to create our own meaning and create our own constellation of meaning. And suddenly instead of having this like very, why I say constellation is instead of having this like very clear path in the sky that is clear to you, suddenly there's a million stars and you have to draw your own shapes. And, um, and that's a real challenge. So, um, so I think both culturally and technology wise, there's a lot happening um, that is leading to infinite browsing. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could definitely, yeah, <laughs> I could definitely agree with you there. And yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely part of, you know, uh, human nature. It's something that, you know, we've had, you know, forever. But uh, when, when you talk about like loosening the grip, you see that, you know, there's, there's not as much of the, uh, okay, my, my father was, you know, a shoemaker and, you know, his father was a shoemaker and his father was a shoemaker. And now I am like, there is some of this kind of tradition a family run or family owned but you know someone putting on that path but now because of technology and just more information and seeing other cultures and how they live and everything like that there there are you know we're we're more likely to say okay well what do i want to do you know and and it's funny too because i was recently just thinking about that with my my son and he's only 12 right i was like oh man you know next thing i know he's going to be in college and what's he going to do i need to start you know talking to him about that and stuff like that so you kind of guide him and uh yeah that's a struggle of just being a parent because you don't want to tighten the grip too much and you know that that can be something that you know uh, i've i've seen from my experience it can make people miserable when that grip is 
too tight. But like you said, it, it depends on, you know, uh, the situation. It's not always a good or a bad thing or, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so, so kind of staying on the topic of like work and career and stuff like that. So aside from just having a bunch of options, some people, we, we need these multiple in, uh, streams of income. Like, uh, as I mentioned, I'm a father and I am just now at the age of 36 getting my uh, finance. Personally, I've never had a job that pays me enough to not have side hustles. Right. Like I, I finally, you know, working in a in a career where, you know, uh, it's it's been pretty decent. Like if I just, you know, for example, this podcast not making me, you know, pretty much anything and I can still live. Right. But there are little things and little little extras that definitely help out. But before this, it was like a must. I had to have side hustles. And this is something that, you know, I, I see a lot of people like there's this kind of like anti hustle culture. But there's also, you know, hey people minimum wage isn't hasn't gone up in forever and all that other kind of stuff so some people you know need to do that so for people like myself or others like what are some ways that we can stay dedicated to something while also having to do you know these quote-unquote side hustles and bring in a little extra income yeah so i am you know, I uh, I'm really careful in the book and I'm always want to be very careful when doing interviews to mention that, you know, this is not this message of leaning into commitment is um, not in denial of the realities of the world outside of us. I don't want to do that same thing. So many self-help books do where they say that you are in control completely of your own life. There's part of us that are in control of our life, but a lot of our choices are shaped by the structures outside of us. And so major structure outside of us is the economy. And I'm not going to be the one to say, you know, when the economic structure is throwing tens of millions of people into a gig economy, when, you know, companies are, you know, forcing people to move, when so much is changing all the time, when so many people are thrown into economic precarity, that it's hard to, you know, find stability in your life that, you know, the answer is for someone to shake their finger at you and tell you be more committed. Um, so, and I try to, in the book, talk a little bit about some of those structures that are inhibiting people from being committed. So I'm really glad you brought this up. Um, so I'm not in denial of that. The one thing I will say is that one of the goals of my book, this is partially another caveat, is that um, this is not just about commitment to career. Um, I lay out six types of commitment in the book. Um, and part of the goal was to show that there's rootedness, there's dedication you can find in commitment to so many different types of things. And so maybe your calling is not to be committed or because of a situation, it's not to be uh, committed to like being unifocused on one career path. It might be commitment to cause or it might be commitment to place. Like I'm going to stick in this place and be part of this community. It might be commitment to an idea and advancing a project. It might be commitment to stewardship, maintaining an institution. It might be commitment to craft. You're honing a craft over time like an artisan. And most importantly, you know, you mentioned you're a father. It might be commitment to people. Um, and that's where you find your rootedness. And so, um, the whole message of the book is not really, you know, this 
you must be unifocused on one thing. It's just a nudge that when you do have the power to click out of infinite browsing mode and dig in and plant a seed and tend to it over the long haul, um, in some part of your life, you know, and in different seasons of your life, it might be different things. It's a nudge to do so. Um, so um, that's what I would, that's, those would be the two things I'd say in response to that. That was very well said, Pete. And, and yeah, and hopefully all the, all these listeners uh, go out and grab a copy of your book. Cause I think you did an excellent job of that. Like one of my fears when picking up a book like yours is like, I've, I, I, I've read, read so many books, right. And a lot of them have been like, you know, self-help or pop psychology. And I'm like, that's great and all, but you really seem to either be a disconnected from, you know, where a lot of people are, you know, in their lives or, or be like you're, you're in denial of the, the world that we're living in. And I thought you did an incredible job with the book because, because you acknowledge that. So, so yeah. Um, and, and I like how you, you kind of laid that out too. And I guess that's something that I'm just continually working on right like myself and you know what I recommend to others as well it's like the the commitment it's it's you know these other little things it's not always the job it's like the the cause the purpose and everything like for example with my sobriety like one thing that I'm committed to is try aside from like staying sober is just try to be a little bit better of a person today than I was yesterday right and that that covers a lot of things that it covers being a better father a better boyfriend a better son you know a better employee you know all these other things but, you know, uh, being somebody who's like really big into mental health, um, as you mentioned, like, you know, hobbies and, you know, crafts and, you know, uh, skills and things like that. Like, I think it's important, like aside from work, like outside of work, we're we're committed to something and something I've been trying to do is focus on like specific things like uh, Cal Newport, you know, um, has his book uh, so good they can't ignore you and stuff like that. And it's about you know, deliberate practice, one thing, you know, and Anders Ericsson uh, talks about that through his research and everything. But, uh, but yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I'm glad that you, you dive into those nuances and, you know, uh, we all have different situations in the book. Um, but yeah, so, so here's something that I, I was thinking about a ton as I was reading your book. Uh, and that is the sunk cost fallacy. Right. So we we all have this tendency to keep putting time or money or effort into something that just isn't working out. Like we don't want to cut our losses because we figure, oh, well, I've already put this much into it. I need to keep going. So although, you know, uh, you make a great ar argument for, you know, being dedicated to certain things and all that there, there has to be some instances where it's like, hey, I need to cut my losses. I need to get out of here. I need to try something new. So. Are there any kind of signs that we can look out for or should look out for to know whether we're just, uh, uh, you know, getting into the sunk cost fallacy or we're just, you know, are, are we not being dedicated? Because I, I guess that's my my concern. Like I could look at something and say, oh, I don't want to sink more time and, you know, effort into this thing. I should just bounce because I don't want to keep sinking more costs. But that could also be a sign that I'm just like giving up far too early. So any kind of signs that we should look out for would be excellent. Yeah, you know, my message with this book is not really aimed at people on their 10th year of the long haul. Um, and, you know, how to decide if you how to keep going and, 
you know, how to persist and how to, um, and how to grapple with whether you should quit or not. It's more aimed at folks that are stuck in infinite browsing mode or stuck in the hallway of life to encourage them to make that first diving in, that first digging in, that first planting of the seed um, in, you know, setting out on a long haul journey. So that's my first thing, which is, you know, the message I'm trying to do is I don't think we have a wave of quitters as a, you know, cultural problem. It's not like there are so many people who dug in for five years into something and then they quit instead of persisted. That's not what I saw as kind of the cultural thing I wanted to intervene on. It was that we had so many people who never even started um, and we need more people diving in and then the commitment will take on a life of its own and last the natural amount of time it's supposed to last. Um, and But, you know, as for people who are, you know, on a commitment journey and grappling with quitting, my two cents would be from talking with Long Haul Heroes is to understand that a commitment is a living thing um, instead of a dead rule. So what I mean by dead rule is a dead rule is if your commitment is I am doing this because I'm committed and that is the rule and I must never quit and I've tattooed never quit on me and that is the rule I must follow even though every part of my being does not um, want that anymore, feel alive in this um, commitment anymore. That's a dead rule. And I don't think that works. And I think when it's gotten to the point that the routines are, you know, the the tires have all, um, you know, the metaphor could be like the tires have all uh, been worn down, that it's just metal on metal of like grinding through life. You know, that's probably, you know, probably seriously consider quitting at that point. You know, that's not, oh, I'm just tempted. Oh, I'm just thinking grass is always greener. Oh, I'm just distracted. Oh, I'm just bored. Oh, this meeting's just boring. That's really like, I don't feel alive in this commitment anymore. But what do I mean by, you know, commitment as a living thing? Well, a commitment is a, is a relationship and a relationship is like a living thing. So it's, it's something that you give to and it gives back to you. It's something you change and it changes you. It's something you commit to, but then it starts rewiring your sense of meaning and gives you a sense of purpose and it starts giving you friends and a community and it starts giving you a sense of mastery and learning um, so that you go deeper and deeper. And um, that is when you talk to long haul heroes who are really in it, they're not saying I'm waking up every day and I'm, you know, I'm feeling like um, I must continue this commitment and I'm a good saintly person, you know, continuing the commitment. No, what they feel like is the commitment is nothing at all, you know, because it so has become a part of them. It's such a relationship that is intertwined with their life because there's all these friends that are part of it and a community that comes around it. There's all this sense of purpose that's part of it that makes the boring parts more enjoyable. There's this sense of learning and depth that's part of it that makes you know, mundane life become a kaleidoscope of meaning because you understand all the nooks and crannies of the thing you're committed to. Um, and so it just feels like a thriving living thing. And so my message for the book for people who are already on commitments is not, you know, have this hard and fast rule when it's just the gears grinding metal on metal or play act that the commitment is a living thing, even though all the life has gone out of it. It's rather that, you know, lean in to let this organic living relationship with something outside yourself grow 
and most of the time it'll be flourishing. But, you know, when it's languishing, catch it before it fully dies out and is metal on metal and is kind of a dead rule. And, you know, don't just say just because I'm in a languishing season um, that uh, that. it's time to quit and find something better. It's to, you know, tend to the thing when it's unhealthy to try to get it flourishing again by returning to your sense of why that will reunite your purpose, to try to bring more relationships into it, to rebuild the community, to try to find and notice new things you can learn in it so that can revive your sense of depth and mastery that comes from it. And out of that will come kind of impact and purpose that you'll see. But sometimes, uh, that doesn't work out and it isn't meant to live anymore. And, um, you know, everything has cycles. There are times when things are born. There are times when things die. And, you know, like a gardener, you sometimes have to cut off the old limbs to let the tree grow. Uh, and I have so many stories in the book of people who found their long haul commitments only after quitting. You know, you know, Pete, uh, the, the longer I do this podcast, right, like this episode, I don't know, I think like 35 or something like that, the more I talk to people, like I, and I think a lot of us struggle with this, I always want like a clear cut answer, right? Like uh, when I, like, I'm like, okay, when, what is the sign? What is the time? Like how much? Like if I'm in it X amount of months or years or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? And what I'm finding out uh, from talking to awesome authors and people researching this and really looking at it is that, you know, it's that so much of this is about adapting, right? Like so much of this is just looking at it day to day, you know, and that and I, I don't I don't know. It's it's interesting because uh, I think that's something, you know, I struggle with a lot of us struggle with is just like we want an answer. We want this certainty. And it's something I've been talking about, you know, a lot lately, too, is, you know, we we crave this kind of like certainty, right? But sometimes it's just like, hey, this thing might have been awesome and kept us motivated and going. And, you know, as you mentioned, like this kind of daily thing. And then some days that dies out and as I'm talking about this and, you know, reflecting on what you were saying, like, uh, my girlfriend always makes fun of me because that that happens to me, right? Like, for example, I love writing, I love creating, I love talking to people, you know, whatever. And there's some days where, you know, my mood is just down and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't really feel like writing. I don't really feel like creating anything. And then I get this idea that I'm never going to want to do it again. But a couple of days later, it comes back. But there are some times when it goes, something I was interested in goes away and it just kind of goes away or it stops being fun or stops being interesting or whatever. So. So, so yeah, uh, I guess from my experience, it's to monitor it for a little bit, you know, before making like a major decision, whether it's quitting a job or, you know, uh, changing career paths or whatever it is. It's like, give it a little bit of time, see if this, this feeling is fleeting or if it's staying and then, and then kind of reevaluate and assess and make a decision and get some input from other people. But Something that you were talking about is kind of like our relationship, and this is like a a moving thing. So that's a perfect segue into my next question, and we're going to talk about relationships for a minute. So, like, something personally that I used to struggle with, I've been with my lovely girlfriend for, you know, four years now, Um, but for most of my life, I bounced around, right? I was bouncing around from one relationship to the next, and in the book, you discuss how millennials have been delaying marriage, right? And it's another one of those things with afraid of commitment and wanting to keep your options open. So why do you think 
millennials are finding it harder to commit to relationships. And yeah, like, is, is there any point in this? It might be the same answer as the last one, but <laughs> I have to ask, is there any point or any signs we should look out for where it's like, hey, maybe it's time to leave this relationship and I shouldn't, you know, be like, oh, I should just stay in this relationship for five more years, even though it's not going anywhere. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, um, I think the reason it's hard to commit to relationships is the same reason it's hard to commit to anything these days, which is we are, um, we have these same fears, you know, there's a fear of regret, which is, you know, I'm going to end up with someone and, uh, and I'm going to wake up 20 years later and wish I had ended up with the old, the different old flame. Um, and that isn't helped by the dating apps that show you thousands of different people. You know, I quote the radio host PJ Vote in the book where he says, um, I, you know, the problem with dating apps is everyone's, you know, just fine. It's not that there's like thousands of bad people to wade through. It's that there's a bunch of different people to wade through and that are that could be good for you and you start seeing one person and imagining a future with them. And then you see another person imagine a future with them. And suddenly that's, you know, what the psychologist Barry Schwartz called the paradox of choice where you have so many options that it becomes hard to commit to any given option. And you're haunted by all the unchosen options. I think there's a fear of missing out where, um, you know, like I said before in relationships, that would be, I'm happy committing to this person, but that means I can't, you know, uh, you know, have all the fun of single life um, and, you know, seeing all the fun of single life, uh, you know, as people's kind of the culture has allowed for a longer time where it's normal to be single. Um, uh, that's hard. And then I think there's a fear of association where, you know, we're um, so, you know, we're we spend so much time discovering our authentic self that when it comes time to subsume ourselves or enter into something outside of ourselves um, in something bigger than ourselves, like a relationship with another person that can threaten our identity because we're trying to find like the perfect person that fits our exact self that we've spent so long discovering, or we're worried about the reputation with our friends, or we have gotten used to so many things coming so fast that we haven't learned the art of kind of going through the hard path of weaving two lives together, which takes a lot of um, uh, mercy and fits and starts and uh, learn, you know, learning how to, you know, going through the valley of relationship building and delaying the joy of kind of being in a relationship. But the big message of this book is that on the other side of all these fears, there's amazing things. So on the other side of the fear of regret is what I call the power of purpose. It's the it's the feeling that um, it's the feeling that your whole life has been rewired. Your whole sense of meaning has been rewired by your commitment, where you think, oh, I have to pick the perfect person now. But what I'm trying to say is that when you do commit to a person your mind and your heart will start doing the work of saying, of bringing that person into your sense of meaning so that you can't even imagine having chosen a different person. Um, and 
in your, uh, you know, the fear of missing out, you're going to start being so glad you were in this relationship because you didn't have to miss out on the deepest novelties of all, which are celebrating your 10th anniversary or seeing your kid turn five or becoming uh, or dis or, you know, having the joy of knowing how to work and cooperate with someone else or, you know, having, you know, growing old together. And then finally, on the fear of association, you're so worried this person's going to threaten your sense of identity or um, your sense of control, but you're going to discover that your identity is going to emerge partially out of this relationship. And you're going to discover that you have a deeper sense of security and empowerment when you work together, that it's going to free up parts of you that you never would have had if you were alone. Now, as for when you should quit a relationship or when a relationship becomes you know, detrimental to you and how to discern the differences between, you know, I'm just distracted or bored or tempted from this is really no longer good for me is a little bit above my pay grade uh, with what I'm trying to say here with this message. But, you know, I think it's in broad strokes similar to all other types of commitment, which is, are you staying into this? because it's a dead rule and you're play acting something that's not there anymore? Or is there still life in this? And do you still feel connected to the original why of what brought you in? Do you still feel uh, connected in a living mutual way with the other person? And do you still uh, feel like uh, this is a living thing? Um, and uh, that's, that's the challenge uh, to discern. That is what I'm talking about, Pete. And it's it's funny because yeah, as you were talking about that, I was just I was just nodding along and agree because, you know, that's that's what I realized when I finally, you know, I don't know, quote unquote, grew up, right? I I, I kind of got uh, you know, the spell broken of this idea that, you know, oh, you're gonna find like the perfect person and it's gonna be love at first sight and just unicorns and rainbows and all these other things. But like you said, like when you commit to a person, you know, the heart follows and everything like that. And and yeah, that's something I've learned is that, you know, relationships are work. They're not meant to be perfect at all times. And that's an unrealistic expectation. You know what I, 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 I tell people is that like romantic comedies just screwed me up with these expectations of how love and relationships are supposed to look. And I, I appreciate, you know, your humility and saying that's above your pay grade when it's time to leave. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, just like the previous question, it's, it's something that, you know, we, we have to take day by day and see and, you know, um, just from my personal experience, something I've done is just evaluate and, you know, I've had to, I got better with this with age when it was just like, okay, this isn't changing. This isn't proving, improving. This isn't getting better. Like, uh, I'm not wanting to put more effort in and, you know, they're not wanting to, or I'm not willing to change and they're not willing to change and all these other things. So there, there's like all these different things to look at, but just the same thing with making any other major decision. It's kind of like stepping back, assessing it, giving it X amount of time, you know, and, and going through that whole decision making process. <laughs> it's not as simple as we all wish it was. Um, but, but yeah, I, I got to hit you with just one last final questions. So in, in one of the, in one of the last chapters, you argue that sometimes it's okay to settle but here's the thing, when people hear that word settle, our instinct 
is that we're not going after like the thing that we truly deserve. I, I was just watching something like the other night where where you know this this character on a show was like dating. Yeah, she was dating this new guy. You know what it was? It was Ted Lasso. That's what it was. Episode one, season two, Ted Lasso. Don't know if you've seen it, Pete. Everybody should go watch it. Ted Lasso, one of my favorite shows. But anyways, uh, spoiler, but a, a character, I won't tell you who, character dating someone and they were like, oh, you're, you're just settling, right? And so there's this thing that, you know, we, we feel like we're, we're, we deserve so much more. So you make a pretty good argument in the book for why it's okay to settle sometimes. So why do you think we have this expectation, right? For whether it's a career, relationship, or whatever it is, like, and what is your best argument for all the lovely people out there listening to this episode? What is your best argument for why it is okay for us to just settle sometimes? Yeah, you know, I talk about this in the chapter on education, and I talk about two different types of education education for advancement and education for attachment. So education for advancement is the classic type of education we have today, which is uh, education to help give you as an individual privately the tools you need to keep your options open, to maximize all the opportunities you have. And this seems like, oh, okay, that's the only type of education I can imagine. It's, you know, education to help you get stronger and smarter and uh, you know, increase your own agency to achieve things in the world. But there is another strand in education, which I call education for attachment, which is about education that evokes reverence and duty in you for something outside of yourself. Education that implicates you. Education that helps you build a relationship with a particular thing. So, you know, part of education is supposed to help disconnect you from relationships and achieve some critical distance. But think about your favorite teachers uh, in your past. It's usually the ones that helped attach you to something, that got you into the climate struggle, that taught you about racial justice and lit your heart on fire for that cause, that taught you about the joy of guitar or piano or, you know, uh, or basketball the one that taught you about a school of thought um, or a discipline or a practice that, uh, or a, you know, a, a area of, you know, an area of knowledge like anthropology or sociology or something or chemistry and, um, and made you, helped you start a relationship with something. And so part of my message was education for attachment usually ends, education for uh, advancement you know, usually ends with just keeping your options open and keep your options open and more and more options and more and more attempts to get higher and higher status or what C.S. Lewis called inner ringing, trying to find the innermost ring where you're finally in with the in crowd. What education for attachment does is it helps you come to peace with the relationships you have and it sees the progression not as, you know, keeping your options open, but in deepening your relationship, in settling in with the relationship you have with the things you've become attached to. And so, you know, the message I wanted to give there was, you know, we're often told, you know, the one of the, you know, inspirational quotes of education for advancement is never settle. But perhaps the thing that will lead to the type of peace or joy or impact that we're actually striving for is uh, to settle 
to settle into a room off the hallway, to settle into a movie off of the menu screen. That's the message of commitment um, and of dedication. Very, very well said, Pete. Awesome. So, so yeah, I, I really hope everybody enjoyed this conversation and goes and gets your book. And I appreciate you taking some time to come on here and chat with me about how we can all be a little bit more dedicated. So I really, really appreciate it, Pete. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, everybody, there you have it. That was my conversation with Pete Davis about his book, Dedicated. And I hope you all found that interesting. And I, I know there's so many of us who struggle with this. And as you could tell from our conversation, it, 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 it's nuanced and it's, it's about being dedicated to certain things while also kind of like gauging, you know, the situation and everything. But as he mentioned, like, you know, it's, it's for a lot of us who had never even found just something to start being dedicated to, right? So if you can relate to that, like, uh, again, like I said, I love the book. Pete is a phenomenal just amazing writer. So I highly, highly, highly recommend you grab yourself a copy. And, and hey, maybe you know somebody. Maybe you know somebody out there who has a problem being dedicated and getting started on that. So check out the description down below. Go follow Pete on social media. And most importantly, grab a copy of his book. All right. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. If you're new, if you're new to the Rewired Soul podcast, and you haven't yet, make sure you're following or subscribed, whether you're on Apple or Spotify. And make sure if you're on Apple, leave a rating and leave a review and share the episode. All these things are things that help out to grow the podcast, to help it reach new people. And I always feel weird when I'm like, oh, it helps us reach new people. Like, you're not good enough. You are amazing. And I really appreciate you. But we want to reach more people, you know, so they get to find out about these awesome books, interesting conversations with awesome authors and all that kind of stuff. So share it, subscribe, rating, review, all that. And make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. And lastly, for all of you out there or any of you, not all of you, any of you who would like to support the podcast in any way, uh, there are some other links down in the description below. Uh, there is a link to the Soul.com where I have published, self-published, some mental health books and some other writings. Uh, there's also a link to the Patreon and there's an affiliate link to better help online therapy. All right. So as I mentioned, I used to be in a bunch of relationships and bounce all over the place. And, you know, part of my recovery too is my mental health. So, uh, therapy has been very beneficial and better help is actually a service that I've used. So if you would like affordable online therapy that you could do from the comfort of your own home, check out that link to better help online therapy. All right. And again, one more big thank you to Pete for taking some time out to come on the podcast and talk about his book dedicated. Make sure you grab yourself a copy and yeah, today's Friday. So if you're listening to it on Friday, have an amazing weekend. If you're just listening to it on a random day, have an amazing rest of your day and I will see you next time.